for any young people who are struggling, like it's really hard, but like you can find some sort of peace. I mean, it's been 15 years and I, you know, some days I still wake up and I hate how I look. Um, but not every day is bad anymore. Welcome to It's Not Human Sexuality, the show that goes beyond sexuality to reproductive health. Understanding the foundations of reproductive health allows you and the ones you love to make better decisions about your health, mind, and relationships. I'm Dr. Betsy Cairo, or Dr. B. And I'm Mandy Johnson. And here with us today is Melanie Greenberg, a sexuality therapist, CrossFit enthusiast, and someone who has struggled with body image issues most of her life. I mean, I lost weight and I got a boyfriend. And then it it did get so much deeper into identity because I was the girl with the eating disorder. Who am I if I'm not the girl with the eating disorder? And that's where the body dysmorphia comes in because in the mirror, I was not seeing what they were seeing. It just sucks, like, because you can't quit food. I started getting tattoos and I just started liking my body more. I met Melanie when we were both students at Widener University, where she was working toward her dual master's degree in social work and human sexuality education. Melanie has struggled with body image issues for most of her life and is here to talk about her struggles, her successes, and to share the insight she has gained throughout her life. Welcome, Melanie. Hi, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here. Um, It's really nice to see you. I was thinking about it this morning. I'm like, it's been a couple of years. (laughs) I know. It doesn't feel like it's been that long, though. No, it doesn't. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while because I think it was 2018 now. I know. Almost with two. I've got another one on the way. Yeah. So, yeah. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. Um, So can you just start off by giving us a little bit of a, you know, mini biography, if you will, just give us a little history of who's Melanie? Sure. Um, So I am one of four girls. So I have three sisters and I'm the third out of four. Um, Growing up, my two older sisters were like string beans. And then my little sister and I were just like, we held on to weight a whole lot more. Um, And so, of course, like there was some bullying as kids uh, that we both dealt with. And then you know, my parents were great, but both of them made comments that unfortunately just it happens. And that's kind of, they did their best. Um, the nineties and the two thousands weren't like super PC. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, by the time I got into middle school, again, all of my friends were pretty thin. Um, and I wasn't looking back. I, I wasn't a fat kid. I, I mean, I was just bigger than, uh, some of the other girls. And, um, by the time I was uh, 15, I started really wanting a boyfriend. And then I was in the musical theater uh, department and um, we were doing a musical and I was one of the dancers in the musical. And um, the choreographer, I remember, said, um, only the skinny dancers will have the pretty costumes. The rest of you will get what's left over. Um, so that really stuck with me. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, I remember I asked one of my friends to go to winter formal with me and he said he wasn't going. Um, and then he asked another 
girl in our grade who I was like, I don't really understand. The only thing that's better about her is that she's skinnier than me, you know, in my 15 year old brain. Um, and I remember it was the day before Halloween, I think. And then on Halloween, I remember I didn't eat any of my Halloween candy and that's kind of when it started. All right. So, um, and where, where are you at now? Tell us a little bit about where. Yeah. So I am, I just turned 30. Um, so happy birthday-ish. I don't know how soon it was. Thank you. you know. <laughs> um, it was about a month ago, but, um, I have been in recovery from my eating disorder probably for the past, I would say, um, a, a good four solid years. Um, I, you know, as bulimia does, unfortunately, there are things that come up here and there. And when I'm really bad at coping with stress, sometimes it happens, but I haven't gone into like full episodes of bulimia or anorexia um, in at least four years. So congratulations on that. Thank you. And when did you graduate from Widener? I graduated from Widener in May 2020. Oh, so right, right smack dab in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Graduating and becoming a first year therapist uh, during uh, COVID has been quite a journey. I bet so. it has. <laughs> I, I also got my master's in May of 2020 and finished up during that time. But um, yeah, not flying to Pennsylvania anymore. So can you can you kind of give us a background on um, how body image impacts reproductive health or sexuality? Like what's that connection there between um, body image and sexuality? Yeah. So um, if we're talking about reproduction in general, um, when I was 15, I stopped having my period. So um, I didn't have my period for over a year. So there's always the fear that I might not be able to have children. Um, I'm not starting yet. um, So I'm not sure. Uh, but that fear is always there uh, because I don't really know what I did to my body at that time. Um, regarding body image, what I've learned so much in just the past year of being a therapist is how important it is to be connected to your body in order to really um, feel pleasure, um, which is already really difficult in general for, I feel like, women in our society because we aren't really taught that our pleasure is important um, in sex, um, culturally. So um, we're already kind of starting off like behind. Um, but yeah, when when you're not connected to your body, when you don't feel good in your body, it's hard to feel good with anyone else, um, let alone all of the hormones that aren't actually working, right? Um, So I think that that's the biggest thing is how can we be connected to our bodies and enjoy sex if we hate our bodies? Really good point. It's a really good point because there's there's a real big disconnect in the brain between that pleasure and that hatred of of what the body is. And so um, that kind of leads into a question that I hadn't written down, but I just started thinking about is just in general. And and this might be personal, so you can say no, but uh how has how has your body image issues affected your sex life and like how you view yourself as a sexual being? Like, did that? I, I guess I know of some young people who who have sex because they don't feel good about their bodies, and it's a way to validate themselves. And then then there's others who, um, you know, shy away from all of it because they they're just so 
afraid of sharing themselves with others. Absolutely. And I definitely think that I was um, the teenager and the young adult who um, had sex kind of to get that validation. Um, I always really enjoyed sex anyway. So that's kind of why I went into this field. Right. Um, But I definitely like was seeking that validation that I was good enough, that I was pretty enough, that these people wanted me. Um, And so I I definitely went that route. Uh, Now, I like my body a whole lot more. I mean, I I still have days where I hate it and I still have days where I'm like, oh, like I probably should have worked out today. I mean, unfortunately, it's just so ingrained in my head. but I, I really love being naked. Like I, I love being naked. I love, you know, being touched. And, and, um, so I, I feel like I'm really lucky in, in that regard that I didn't go like the full other way of wanting to cover myself. Right. Right. Well, you, you brought up another thing in your answer there that, um, that I was, I was kind of curious about, which was, was was your eating disorders and and that kind of thing sort of what drew you to the field of sexuality? What, did that have anything to do with it, or how did defi- you come to be in this field? Yeah, um, I definitely think that it it led to it. Um, I kind of was always like the person that people went to to talk to about things, um, even when I was younger. Um, so. And also it's, it, it sucks. But like when you have had an eating disorder, it's really easy to pick out other people who are struggling, um, just based on behaviors and based on things that you're like, ah, something like you just can recognize things. Um, and so a lot of people came to me because I was very open about my eating disorder. Um, in high school, I mean, everyone watched me lose weight and everyone saw it happen. So I didn't really have to like come out and say I had an eating disorder. Everyone just kind of knew. And so I was like, all right, I guess I'll just embrace it. Like I'm the chick with anorexia, I guess. Um, and so people did come to me and, and share their experiences. And I realized that um, I, I wanted to help people in this way. Um, I wanted to be there for people who are struggling um, with themselves. Uh, so that definitely helped contribute to it. So I have a question about the that identity that you um embraced in high school, like you're the chick with anorexia. Did you, was that sort of a self-fulfilling validation? Because as you lost weight, maybe you got more attention. And so then you said, okay, this is, this is working. This is working. I'm getting the attention I wanted. And so then after a while, you're no longer in charge anymore. And the brain is like, we're going to take it to the extreme. Is, is that kind of where, how you went with that, how that went for you? With that social validation. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I lost weight and I got a boyfriend. So, you know, it, it really did just solidify in my mind, like, okay, this is what people want. This is what I'll be. Um, and then it, it did get so much deeper into identity because I was the girl with the eating disorder. Who am I if I'm not the girl with the eating disorder? Who am I? Um, and that is still kind of transforming in my life now as um, a locally competitive CrossFitter for the past couple of years. I was the really fit friend. I was the friend that people asked, how did you get your arms like that? What do I need to eat? And then as school and my career and COVID happened, I put on weight and exercise took a back seat. And that was really hard. Like I'm not the fit friend anymore. I know I'm still fit and I know I still, you know, but for me, I was like, 
that's not me anymore. And what do I do with that? And that was really challenging. How, how did CrossFit help you? Did that, was that something that helped you heal or was that something you did after you felt, felt a little more healed? Like where did that play in for you? Yeah. Um, so being that I was like always just built kind of bigger, um, I was really strong. I was just a strong person. And I had a friend, um, at my first job out of college who was like, you would be good at CrossFit. And I'd had an ex-boyfriend who had told me you would like CrossFit. And I was like, nah, like I'm not going to listen to my ex-boyfriend. Um, but then, you know, I decided I really wanted to try it. I wanted to learn how to lift weights and I didn't even know how to hold a barbell at the time. And that was, uh, the end of 2013. So beginning of 2014, I like bought full in, you know, like the, everyone says CrossFit is a cult. Like, I mean, it, it kind of really is, but, um, that is where I realized that like my body could do a lot of things. Um, and then, you know, I didn't really get too deep into it. 2016 is about when I started to get really into it and, um, start like focusing in on getting better at it. Um, I think there's a lot of people in the CrossFit, um, community who have struggled with eating disorders, and I think that it definitely helped save my life in a way. Um, CrossFit has its flaws, as does everything else, but um, it taught me how to stop being obsessed with how much weight can I lose? And instead I was thinking, how much weight can I lift? How much more can I squat? And then, and then it transformed the way that I looked at food. I can't lift all this weight if I'm hungry. I'm going to pass out. I have to nourish my body. And so it became like more of a mindset of like, I'm an athlete. I have to feed my body in this way or it's not going to do the things that I want it to do. Did, did it ever like put you in a place where then you became differently obsessed with food with like trying to get the right macros and the mi mi right micros and just getting Absolutely. that like, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that's been the challenging thing for me this past year. Um, you know, because I was the fit friend. I mean, I was counting every single morsel that went into my mouth and it became like that orthorexia, like the clean eating, um, obsessed with like, I mean, uh, tracking peppers and onions, right? Like they're so minuscule, but I was, tra you know, so I definitely got wrapped it up in that. I definitely, um, you know, would skip going out with friends because I wasn't in control of the food. Um, and then this past year, I just became severely depressed, as most of the nation did and the world. Um, and I was drinking a lot and I was eating what I wanted and I was focusing on becoming a professional. Um, and I just kind of like stopped being so meticulous about it. Um, and my training suffered a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. And I, I didn't like how that felt. I didn't like that I wasn't able to do pull-ups as easily and I wasn't able to run as long. Um, and so, you know, when thinking about going back to counting macros, it was a really slippery slope. It's, it's like, when do you step over the edge of like, okay, now, now it's obsessive. So I'm really trying to manage that now with like, all right, like I'm, I'm going to eat pizza and it's going to be okay. But then during the week, like, I'm going to, you know, just eat my, the meals that I know feel good for my body because I, I know that I feel better when I eat a certain way. Do you think there will ever be, um, a non connection or 
a disconnect between just what you just said. I feel better when I eat better. It's just we all do, right? People in general probably would. Then not tying it to a history of your relationship with food not being healthy or I don't know if not healthy is the right word, but do you see what I mean? Like I do. Like I yeah. can I can sit here and say, oh, I feel better when I eat better. And I, it has no connection to anything for me. I mean, I was a gymnast, so I have some of that issues. But the point is, is that I don't dwell on, oh my gosh, I'm back into that. Do you think eventually you will move out of that and just say, this is my, this is me and it's okay to feel better if I eat better? <sighs> um, I really hope so. Um, I, I really hope that I can get to a point where like intuitively eating is something that I can also feel happy and, um, still maintain the level of training that I want. Right. And, and I think that, I think that if I wasn't still committed to trying to be somewhat competitive in like in a local sense, um, I think maybe I would be able to to be a little bit more lenient because now it's become like, I still want to be good at this. And it's, and also I, I hate to, I, I like my body when I can push it, when I can move longer, when I, and I know that that's interconnected and I hate it. Um, but it's still something I'm working on. It's, it's going to be lifelong for sure for me. But, but, but having, that. having that, that connection to, um, you know, feeling good about what your body can do. I mean, even even when there's that connection, it's, I don't know, maybe a healthier version of, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I've never, like Betsy said, I've not, I don't, when I eat good and feel good, I also don't have it connected to anything. Right. Um, yeah. You know, and so, yeah, I mean, I just. Because your story for me is like, if I didn't know your, you know, we didn't know your history, and you're saying you you like how your body feels when you're stronger and you can you have more endurance and you can lift more and you feel you just physically feel better. There's nothing wrong with that, right? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And yet, for you, you might for our listeners who probably completely relate to this. There's that you know voice in your head going, "Is this still a problem? Is is this a problem? Do you know what I mean?" And that's what yeah, you're struggling with. Absolutely. And it's not even the like, because I, I know that before, like if I would start to cut what I was eating, I'd be like, ooh, like I, I didn't eat that much today. Like that's good. And now it's not. It's like, oh, I didn't eat enough today. Like I need to eat more um, because I know that I won't recover. I know my muscles will hurt. And and that's that's where I, where I love this transition. But like you said, like it's it's that slippery slope of like, is this okay? Like I, I have to check in with myself constantly. It's it's a lifelong battle. I mean, that's what being in recovery means, right? I mean, it's a. It is, yeah, and, and you I know like what? That like you use that word. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think it goes right up there with substance use. Um, I, I think the mindset and and the clients that I've seen who have been struggling with eating disorders, very similar to addiction. Um, it just sucks, like. Because you can't quit food, right? And that's always been the hardest part is like you need food. Yeah. Yeah. You have to have it. So that relationship is always going to be tricky. Living. <laughs> A little important for yeah. living. <laughs> yeah. Um, so 
when you were like in high school and you were embracing this I'm the girl with anorexia. I and and you said that you were losing weight and everybody knew. So I assume also teachers and people, adults and stuff around you knew. Um, what were they telling you? And and what did you think? Like in your head, what did you think about their advice? Was it kind of a yeah, whatever, okay, um, or like how did that play into things for you? Yeah. So I was actually just talking about this the other day. I'm really surprised because um, I fell asleep in math class every day, sophomore year. And I don't know how like nothing, nobody ever like said anything. Um, I think that some people were very aware. Um, My friends were very aware. Um, My parents were very aware and they were really trying their hardest. Um, Unfortunately, I wasn't uh, sick enough, according to insurance, to go to treatment. Um, and so, you know, I, again, had lost my period. I, my fingers were blue. Um, I had hair growing in, you know, on, on my body trying to keep me warm. My electrolytes were all messed up. My heart was not beating correctly. And, um, insurance was like, oh, your BMI isn't low enough. So we're not going to cover treatment. Wow. And, uh, that's why we shouldn't go off BMI. Seriously. Oh, BMI. Oh, well, BMI is trash. It yeah. is but, trash. It's the worst. Oh, it's it's the worst. It's the worst. Um, yeah, but I I think when adults and when my friends would say things to me, I thought they were lying, and that's where the body dysmorphia comes in because in the mirror I was not seeing what they were seeing. So it's it's it, you knew you had an eating disorder. It wasn't about that. You just didn't believe them when they told you you're so skinny, you don't need to lose any more weight. Right. I was like, no, like I'm not. Like I can keep pushing it. It, you know, I wasn't for me, I wasn't like 80 pounds needing a feeding tube. So for, to me, like I wasn't that sick in my head. And now we know that like eating disorders can be dangerous no matter what you look like. But were you ever taught anything about eating disorders or body image or anything in school? Yeah. And like in high school and middle school, you know, a lot of what, um, I remember reading a book from the library Um, I can't remember the name of it, but on the front of it, there is a picture of a girl with her finger in her mouth and on the flip side was a skeleton. And it was the story about a girl with bulimia. Um, and I remember that book very specifically. Um, and I don't remember learning a lot about eating disorders in, in school. Um, I know that like, You know, my mom was like, let's try this diet and see if like not to get me to lose weight, but to get me to then like here, here's a healthy way for you to eat food. Um, And I mean, that didn't work. And then, you know, there's so many embarrassing things that come along with eating disorders. I mean, um, when I shifted from anorexia to bulimia, I was throwing up in containers and hiding them under my bed so that my family didn't hear the toilet. And like, yeah. And I didn't know how to, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm disgusting. So, but later on, then then you've got more, more shame and, and all the things that roll with that. Because when I was in a bulimic state, like in the binge and purge, I felt like I was out of my body. I didn't feel like it was really me. It was like a completely different person. And then once it was over, I felt so much shame and, anger and sadness. So, so, um, how, how were you able to finally take control of your eating and, and, 
get yourself into a place where you, you know, feel like you've been out of this for about four years and been more in control. Yeah. So I know we talked about macros and I know that a lot of people, um, don't love them, but for me, again, it was a way for me to look at food and say, this is nourishing my body. Like I know that I need to eat this much protein because I know that it's going to help me and I know that it's going to make me feel good. So for me, taking a look at it from like counting calories to knowing what I was putting in my body and knowing what was going to help nourish me, that was really helpful. So I think just learning about nutrition in general, like learning that carbs are not bad and that they're actually essential um, and learning that like eating fat is not going to make you overweight or fat, even, you know, it's... Those it's things also in essential. My mind. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it lubricates your joints. It helps your brain. Um, so all of it the, I think it was like really, yeah, yeah. Just learning about nutrition. Um, I also, and this is a silly one, but it's one that I've been talking about a lot more lately. Um, I started getting tattoos and I just started liking my body more. It, it, you know, it's a different way to go about liking your body, but it, it, it works. I've never I'm, heard that one. That's I haven't ever heard that one either, not for, for this purpose, although I know a ton but of people covered in tattoos. So. Yeah, maybe that's the motivation for a yeah, lot Yeah, it was like taking back my body and like, oh, I don't love the stretch marks here, but I love the artwork that's there. And so now I love to look at my body in the mirror. Being as this is a, a lifelong struggle in real life, you know, in reality, um, how do you think that plays into... All the all of the things like how does that play into your current relationship or your job or your, you know when you decide to become a parent? Ooh. Um, so professionally, if you decide I, to become a parent, I should not assume. No, no, it's okay. I did mention kids earlier, so um, <laughs> I professionally have decided to step back from um, seeing individuals with active eating disorders. Um, I think it just, it didn't go the way that I thought it would. And I think that it was harder for me to separate myself from the client. Um, I can work with people who are in recovery and, you know, have some distance and still have some body issues and, and, and some disordered, you know, food um, issues, but I, I don't want to work with people actively in eating disorders at this time. Um in my relationship, I mean, I have a really supportive partner. Um, he um, owns the gym that I go to. And so, you know, we work out together and he's encouraging and we cook together. And, you know, if I can't cook, he always makes sure that we have something um, that's going to make me feel good and that's going to um, keep me on track with my goals. Um, so I think, you know, he he he's a gem. Honestly, like I, I lucked out there. He's great. Um, Sounds like it. But, you know, when I have my bad days, he. He makes me feel better. Um, he can't change how I see myself, but sometimes just like, well, just snuggle me just so that like I have that connection like that helps. Um, but, yeah, I, I think. Um, having a supportive partner makes all the difference for sure. I mean he and I started dating in 2016 and I'm, that's about the time when I started taking control of my eating. So was, was he a factor in that too? Did that influence you at all? Yeah. Um, 
he was one of like the first healthy relationships I was actually in. So feeling good with someone made me feel better about me. Um, like not questioning myself. Um, and I liked working out with him and I wanted to keep being able to do that. And I couldn't do that if I was sick. Um, in regards to having kids someday, that is something I am working on in therapy currently um, because I don't know how that's going to go for me. Uh, it's a big body change. Um, it's a big sacrifice. And I right now I'm very selfish as a person in that regard. So I don't know what that's going to look like in the future. I really I do want children. Um, but again, I just I don't know if I'm mentally prepared yet uh, for the changes in my body. Is you know, it yeah, I think I think there are a lot of women who go through body dysmorphic issues during pregnancy, even without history of having body dysmorphia. So um, it's, it, you know, you're definitely not alone in that. I mean, it's something that is very real. Mm. And I think another thing that's very real is sometimes their partner has a hard time witnessing it too. And for some people, uh, you know, they don't find pregnancy attractive. You know, and I used to tell my students, if your partner is pregnant, I don't care if you have to practice in the mirror or whatever, but it's going to be like, you look good, you know, and which is interesting because I was really lucky. My husband is not like PDA, none of that at all, like ever. But when I was pregnant, he couldn't stop touching me, and <laughs> you know, like he'd rub my belly and I'd be like, okay. We're in the grocery store, so you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't do this. Like back off a little. But just... I was fortunate though that I had somebody who was just so fascinated by it, you know, because I uh, I struggled with it a little bit, and so there's it, it cuts on all edges around you. And society, luckily though, I think, especially in the last 15, 20 years, has really embraced the the, the beauty of the pregnant body, you know, with tight fitting clothing, like we. We wore gunny sacks, you know. You you didn't show your pregnancy. You just had to look like a, a troll doll. Just wear with a moo dress and a neck cut out and arms, you know. So, um, but I think society really embraces the pregnant figure. And I, I find that very, I don't know. It's empowering. Sexy and it's empowering. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, I love that change. You know, I, my sister has three kids and I adore them. Um, and you know, a lot of people that I coach at the gym have gone through, um, pregnancies and they've worked out up until they've given birth. Um, and now like even in the CrossFit world and I know in other fitness areas, um, people are making like postpartum specific workout plans for women because they're now realizing that like, oh, these needs are different. We need to work on the pelvic floor. We need to work on, you know, our core muscles before we start going back to what we were doing before. So I think that there's been a lot more movement around supporting pregnant bodies. Yeah, and that's a really cool thing. Okay, so uh, my husband asked me to ask you this. I think it's a really good question. We were we were talking about the show and he said, ah, oh, I think this is something you should ask her. So if you were alone on a beautiful tropical island with all of your needs met. Would you still have body image issues? Is it is it a uh, society-based thing or is it a self-based thing? So 
is this like from now on? Like if I was on an island from now on? Oh, I'm not really sure which way he met that, but uh, let's well, go from now on. Yeah. Okay. Um. So there, yes, probably Um. because it, I am very self-critical. It's, it's the self-critical part of it. I know that there was a study years ago done on like an island, um, of people who were like native to the island and they didn't really have a lot of access to the outward, like out like other media and, and all of that. And um, they like surveyed the kids, the young girls, and like none of them really had any body image issues. And then they were exposed to media and they did, they developed some body image issues. Um, I, and I don't know what that study was. I can't, so don't quote me on it, but I remember reading about this study and it was like, wow, yeah, that is, it is so cultural. Um, so I think now if I were on an Island, I think I would still probably wake up and body check some days for sure. Um, but maybe that would go away over time. Yeah. Without mirrors around, you know, you, I wonder if that would help. I think it would help immensely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, um, it's just like when I go to the doctor and they want me to weigh in, I go, no, I'm not weighing in. And they're like, well, you have to. And I go, actually, I really don't. (laughs) I don't have to weigh in. I don't need to know. I don't want to know it. It's, I don't need to know. So I don't, (laughs) you don't need to tell me. Thank you. You don't need to tell me. I stopped weighing myself a long time ago because I just, I just, didn't need to know. It was just a number that I could live without. And you know what? You're right. Doctors don't actually need to know because it really just leads to fat phobia. Like if I have a problem, it doesn't, it's not always because of my weight, right? Like, but automatically like, oh, you're having this issue, drop a few pounds. And it's like, that's not always the solution. So I love that you, most of the time it's not. (laughs) No. So I love that you said screw that <laughs> yeah, yeah they don't know what to do because you know they have to tick a box and i go uh-huh. just write in there patient refused and we'll be good <laughs> betsy says screw that to a lot of things you know <laughs> been around a long time <laughs> don't got time for that <laughs> So um, I don't have any more questions, but I always like to to ask that the, as the last thing, is there anything that you would want to share with young people who might be struggling with this themselves? I think it's really hard for the loved ones around them. So like young people and their friends um, not knowing what to do. And uh, I think the biggest thing for me was that like I had a couple of really good friends who stayed by my side even through the, like the really bad times, um, even when I was like really nasty and cranky um, because I was hungry. And um, they're probably the reason that I'm still here. So just continuing to love them. Um, and I know that can get hard because it's hard to watch, um, but just being there for them and and, you know, not making mention of like, their weight or what they look like and just focusing the conversation on other things. Um, because we've become so used to talking about bodies and I think that's the biggest thing. Just don't talk about bodies with your friends that are struggling. Um, for any young people who are struggling, like it's really hard, but like you can find some sort of peace. Um, it took me 
I mean, it's been 15 years and I, you know, some days I still wake up and I hate how I look. Um, but not every day is bad anymore. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, that's, yeah. that's a great place to be is not every day is bad. Cause I think that's where most of us are. Right. <laughs> yeah. We all have the bad days, right? Yeah. Whatever we're struggling with. So yeah. um, to say you're great every day is just a, you know, it's a bold faced life. It's unrealistic. Well, thank you again so much for joining us tonight. It was great talking to you and um, hearing your story. And Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I love her story, and I love that she used the word recovery. Yes. And I really uh, enjoyed her her candidness. I mean, you know, our audience can't see, but we're zooming with her and you can tell at times it, it was those, difficult. Yeah. Those answers were, were still struggles. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really important element for everybody to understand that it's, it's not a word. Anorexia is not a word and bulimia is not a word. Right. These are processes and um, scenarios and, and, and some people call them diseases mm -hmm. and eating disorders, right? It's so it's important to understand that it's a process and it's not like, oh, today I am and tomorrow I'm not. Right. No, and I, I like that she likened it to a, to an addiction because it is mm -hmm. so similar in that it's, it's a lifelong battle. It's mm -hmm. not anything that she's, that anybody who's dealt with is going to just all of a sudden not have to deal with sometimes, you know, it's, yeah, it's but just you know the piece there. that just really resonated with me the most, which I'm sure it did with you, is when you asked the question, were you taught anything about this in school? Yeah. <laughs> and the answer is always, no. No, that, and, I mean, you know, education is so darn important. Like It is. Like, that's one of the things our curriculum covers is, yeah. you know, eating disorders and body image and societal pressures and yeah. for men and women. Yes. And so, again, once again, it just reiterates the need to get this topic in schools comprehensive sexual education that's the key <laughs> not just sexual education but comprehensive because that does cover education there that it is. does cover body image yeah ours does <laughs> yes it does but yeah she is darling and i loved her story and um, i'm sure a lot of people can relate yeah i think so too This podcast was created to promote Look Both Ways and the textbook written by Dr. Cairo. That's me. Look Both Ways is a nonprofit organization based in Loveland, Colorado, with a mission to educate our youth about their reproductive health to make informed decisions for their future. We do this by educating the educators through professional development, and we also put on free conferences both for teens and parents of teens. Textbooks used in schools are donated by Look Both Ways to eliminate the money obstacle for schools interested in piling or adopting our curriculum and textbook. As a nonprofit, we are always fundraising and accepting donations. For more information about Look Both Ways, our fundraising efforts, getting a textbook donated to you, or to make a donation, please visit us at lookbothways.us. That's L-O-O-K-B-O-T-H-W-A-Y-S dot U-S. This podcast was produced by Peach Islander Productions in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is Dr. B. And Mandy Johnson wishing you well. Be sure and catch all of our episodes of It's Not Human Sexuality on Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Betsy, if you need to talk, just go ahead and lean in there. Push Mandy out of the I'll way. I'll be there. Betsy. <laughs> I'll be there. Okay. I got, I got it on my mind, that song.